Thank you, Georgie, and good evening, everyone. My name's Josh, one of the associate ministers here. I'm going to finish a two-part series um, looking at Peter, the character in the Bible, looking at a couple of things that happened in his life so we can get to know him a little bit better. Now, I wonder, before we start, have you ever done something that you wish you hadn't done? Maybe you threw a ball at an older kid's head, hit him, and realized you were in big trouble. Maybe for years and years, you threw away your brown bread sandwiches that your mum lovingly made for you to the point where your dad had to come in and speak to your teacher about the fact that you weren't eating lunch, wondering what was going on. Maybe, like me, you started a new school and said, oh, I'm kind of a Christian, and hid it a little bit. Maybe you did the same in your first hospitality job. Maybe we're here and you know that there's sin in your life, cycles of sin that you can't get out of. Maybe you're sitting there and going... Actually, I know that there's things that I put above Jesus so much, my possessions, my job, whatever it might be. And I wonder if in some of these examples, we look and we go, have I ever denied Jesus? Have I ever put something ahead of him? And you go, yeah, all right, maybe I have. And that's what I relate to. That's, that's where I'm coming to as we speak together this evening, as we think about Peter. The question comes up, if we deny Christ, can we be restored to not only to his favor, but to his service? And I hope as we look through this, we, we will decide, yes, yes, we can. And in today's passage, it's an example of forgiveness and of restoration, but also of recommissioning. How Jesus does it to Peter and what we can learn from that and how he would lovingly do the same with us. And therefore, also, maybe how we should treat one another as the church. Now, let's, uh, let's get into Peter's shoes for a minute. Let's imagine Peter, poor, silly Peter. He's messed up in a big way. And here, Jesus is sitting on a beach waiting for the chat. Now, last week, Natalie spoke to us, and we found out that Peter denied Jesus three times. He said he never knew him. Uh, I gutted. And here is Jesus waiting to have this conversation. He's told the disciples, you'll see me again. He's seen them a few times already. He said, go, go north, that's fine. Go home to Galilee. I will come to you and I will speak to you and I will give you further instructions. So the disciples, waiting for the passage that we've read today, they know Jesus is coming. And uh, in, the, in the verses before, we, we see that Peter goes, okay, I'm not waiting anymore, I'm going to go fishing. Uh, and he starts fishing, and I don't think he's renouncing being an apostle at this point. I think actually he's just bored, and he wants to fish, and they all go with him. But in this fishing scene, as I'm going to read some of it to us, these are the few verses you can look in your Bibles if you want, just before today's passage. As we look at this scene, some of you will remember something similar that goes on in one of the other Gospels. In Luke 5, we find Peter fishing, and Jesus waiting on the beach, and it's the scene of Peter's first commission. It's where Jesus first calls him. And so we're here in the first eight verses. We're going to go from just, after, just before verse five. Jesus is standing on the shore, and verse five, he called out to them, friends, have you, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, and he tells them where to throw the net, and loads of fish come. It's very similar to what happens in another story. In fact, lots of times when I read this, I was like, oh, is it just the same story? But no, it's a, it's a different story. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it, it must be him, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he jumped, he swam, and he got to Jesus as fast as he could. Remember, Peter and Jesus haven't spoken about the denial yet. 
They haven't spoken about the thing that he did that he's probably really, really gutted about. So why haven't they spoken about it if this is the third time that Jesus has seen him? I'm going to get to that just a little bit later. But first, I want us to understand maybe what's gone on for Peter and why it was such a big deal. You see, I think that the devil, when we learned, looked at this last week a little bit more, had a foothold with Peter. Peter had a desire to be the best, and it was how the enemy got him. When he told Jesus, I'll never deny you, I think he kind of meant it, but actually it was rooted in wanting to look good to his fellow disciples and not really rooted in his love for Jesus. It was foundationless, and last week we saw what happened when fear got involved, when somebody said, hey, do you know Jesus, and he was worried about his life, he, he, he bottled it. He said, no, I don't know who you're talking about. And Peter's fear of what others thought about him and maybe kind of parceled with this idea of wanting to have status, which we see a lot from Peter, it led him to deny Jesus. And we all have fears. Let's not pretend. We all have areas of weakness as well, footholds that the devil likes to poke us with and try and trip us up with. And I hope as we look at the restoration of Peter tonight and we see that that's kind of his gig that we can go, well, these are mine. And I hope tonight as we look at how Jesus restores Peter and how we can be restored ourselves, that we will see actually that we can, we can put our focus on Jesus and see the footholds that the enemy might have with us no longer have power in our lives. And we get to today's passage, verse nine. Have a look if you want to. It's gonna come up on the screen. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with no fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring the fish you've caught, and they did. And then it says there's 153. Only a fisherman would write that. So I think, you know, that's a good, it's a good idea of the author. They wrote, this is exactly how many fish it is. Aren't we amazing? But actually, really, it was Jesus. And he said, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask who he was because they knew that it was Jesus. It's the third time Jesus appeared. And the reason I think it's the third time that he decides to have this conversation is because Jesus is setting the context for what is can only be described as a pastoral masterclass. He's deliberately resetting the context that Pete, for Peter, and I, I believe now for us as well, as we read it. It's, this is the same area of land that he fed thousands of people and he feeds them. He's taken them home, back to Nazareth, a place of familiarity and safety. And remember, he's seen them before and he hasn't had this conversation, so there must be a reason he's setting the scene. And if that wasn't enough, he's taken them back to where it all began for Peter. The same lake, the same fruitless fishing turned to fruitful fishing. And when he called Peter the place of his first commission, it's, it's about to become the place of not only his restoration, but of his recommission. Jesus has reorchestrated the very scenario. And beyond that, he's done a double link because he's Jesus and he's really good at this stuff. And with the denial, he denied him around a fire. And there, Jesus is, sitting on the beach, waiting by a fire. The place of pain and failure, and the kind of thing that probably would have reminded Peter, every time he saw a fire in the last little while between denial and this moment, all he would have felt is pain, failure, shame, whatever other words you might associate it when you were, you've absolutely messed up. And Jesus is sitting there waiting to have the chat. And Jesus knows this moment's going to be significant for Peter, and that Peter's going to be significant for the early church, and so he leaves no stone unturned. Maybe Jesus did the fish thing again, so they knew it was him. Maybe he wanted Peter to remember how he felt at first, 
Either way, it's a pastoral masterclass. Good old Jesus, eh? How thoughtful he was to set such an appropriate context where Peter could receive his restoration and his recommission. It tells us of Jesus' loving kindness to us, his graciousness to us. And that's the foundation that we hear the rest of this sermon from. That is what Jesus is to us as well. And the first point I want to look at is that real repentance, we're about to learn how Peter's repentance was real, leads to restoration. So here we are, the dreaded conversation. After breakfast, he sets it up. He's fed them, and now it's time. I think Peter's been dreading this moment and kind of looking forward to it. Like, I think he's a man of action. He wanted to get this sorted out. I bet he's a bit gutted. It was the third time that they met that Jesus decided to do this, but here we are. Three times he's denied Jesus, and three times he's asked. Remember, he professed his love when he denied. I love you. I'll never deny you, Jesus. And so here we are, and three times he's asked. And in this moment, let's not pretend, most Brits would bottle it. We say something like, oh, tough night for you, wasn't it, Pete? <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> and that would be the end of it, but actually, that's not what Jesus does here. He thinks it's important. He doesn't bottle it. He goes straight for it, but he doesn't go for the denial itself, which is interesting, but he goes for the root sin below the denial. Do you love me? Do you love me? And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I I wonder if he's calling him by that name, Simon, and not calling him by his nickname, Peter, the rock, because he hasn't behaved in a very rock-like manner. He's been more like a reed than he has been like a rock. And um, for you wrestling fans in, I tried really hard to work out a joke as to how I could get, can you smell what the rock is cooking, Peter the rock, but then Jesus was cooking, it just didn't work. So apologies for that. But he carries on, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies to Jesus, you know that I love you, but this is getting painful to watch, isn't it? It's getting painful to watch. He's told Jesus a few times now, and Jesus seems to still be poking at it. And we know Jesus is perfect, so we know Jesus is perfect. So why does, so he, he must have a reason for doing this. So Jesus, in his perfection, he seems to be twisting the knife. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? We have this knife-twisting moment, but we've got to see this as the knife of a skillful surgeon and not the knife of a killer or somebody trying to do harm. Jesus is poking at something that needs rooting out. He's poking at something that is going to leave a place of flourishing where previously there has been a place of failure. You said you'd never deny me, Peter, and yet you did. But Peter is coming here with a new perspective, and we'll see that as we go forward. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, he is taking responsibility. He's answering Jesus' questions. He's not saying, why do you keep asking me? The underlying question is, do you love me? Doesn't address the denial, but it addresses the reason that the denial happened at all. He loved status more than he loved Jesus. He loved the way the other disciples saw him more than he loved Jesus. And and that's brutal to say. But I think there's a different Peter happening here and a different Peter to the one that we see in Acts and the one that writes the letters later in the Bible to the one that was before Jesus was resurrected. There's a different Peter here. So why does he do that, seemingly ignore the issue? Well, maybe it's because he knows Peter might and, and will, and he does in this passage, mess up again. 
He knows that it isn't going to be the end of sinning and getting it wrong. And maybe it won't be as in grand a way as he did when he denied Jesus. But there will be little things. And so he goes after relationship. He goes after the key question, do you love me? The root of where their relationship is. That's what he's caring about in this moment. And as we go through this passage, there's, there's different kinds of love happening. So the first two times Jesus asks, it's this big love, agape love. And, and uh, Peter responds with the, the low love, philo love, not the pastry, sadly. But a, a different kind of love, and it's a lower love. And then in the third one, Jesus says, uses that one, the lower one. And he says, do you love me as a friend? Peter, this is why Peter's hurt. Because of course I, of course I love you as a friend. Of course I love you as a friend, but I, 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 don't, I think this is interesting. I don't think it's super, super important. I think what it says is that the relationship that Jesus and Peter had is as much about him being a big God as he is about him being a friend and he wanted to restore all parts of it. And as we carry on reading, we see Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. When Peter is saying, you know all things, you know that I love you. We know from Jesus' reaction, if, if nothing else, that Peter's repentance is real. And Jesus knows our hearts today. He knows my heart today. So where are we? When we read this story and maybe, maybe we relate, maybe we see that there's big ways that we've messed up, maybe we see that there's, there's less going on, and, but, but maybe we go, actually, I probably would have denied Jesus in that moment as well, and I've done much worse than Peter has because I did it like, thinking about deliberately doing all these things, and he just got a bit scared when he thought he was going to die, and that seems kind of fair enough. Please don't discount yourself from restoration tonight because you think you're too far gone. We are naive to think that the depth of God's grace is ever worried about the depth of our failure. We're naive to think that. Peter says in Acts 3 verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I bet he's thinking about this. I bet he's thinking about this because repentance is maybe less about turning away from actual sin. Often it's more perhaps the wrong views that we have of God, especially of his grace. Also turning to God is about lifting our heads up. It's not a moment of shame, but a moment to look to God and say, I'm gonna come back to you. We're naive to think that the depth of God's grace is ever worried about the depths of our failure or sin. You know, grace is the nature of who Jesus is. It's who he is at his very core. It's why he came to restore us back to God and to be the one that we can turn away from wrong to, to be the recipient of our repentance. It's his whole reason that he came to earth for you and me and it grieves him when we don't turn back. It's the core of who he is. And when we reject that incredible grace by pretending we're not worthy of it, we do it all the time. We go, I'm just going to give myself a hard time for a little bit longer. Or we think, actually, I'm too far gone at all. I can't come back to Jesus. Well, whose call is that? It's not yours. God made that call when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. And so if we're saying, actually, no, I can't be part of this grace moment, then we are missing out on the very essence of who God is to you and me. And it's not saying what we did was okay. It's saying we can still know God even though we did what we did because of his grace. And we can still be used by him. We need to stop seeing repentance as a dirty word. And rather, we should see it as an inheritance opportunity, a mark that we are children of God, not that we're not. We get to turn back because of grace, not we have to turn back because of sin.
three denials, three questions. And after this full restoration, there's no doubt for Peter. And he looks back on his life to know that he's been truly restored was so important for his mission and his ministry. Because there's no doubt the enemy didn't want Peter to succeed with what he was about to do next. And so actually it's really important, and Jesus knew this, that when the enemy came knocking and saying, hey, you still care too much about this, hey, you still care too much about that, that he had understood the depths of God's grace for him and his recommissioning of him. We're going to look at that a little bit more in just a moment. He was being restored to deny himself rather than to deny Jesus. He was asked the questions, and he was able to respond from the heart. You see, a real repentance it leads to restoration. Ready to back him up when state has got a niggle. Three denials, three questions, three chances to know this full, real restoration left in no doubt. And if we mess up, Jesus still wants to use us. He's got a second, third, and fourth chances. We're not just saved from something, but to something. Your past, whatever it might be, the stuff that you would name when you're thinking about where you have denied Jesus or messed up, that does not define tomorrow, or at least it doesn't have to, and that's because of God's grace. We look forward and not back. We fix our eyes on the mission, and that's what happens in this passage. Every single time he's responding in this conversation, it ends with a a job, feed my sheep. It's mission. Real repentance leads to full restoration and restoration it leads to recommissioning verse 18 and 19 back in our passage it will come up on the screen have a look in your bibles if you want to very truly i tell you when when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you're old you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go and jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which peter would glorify god let's just pause in the verse there for a second Peter now knows he's going to die on a cross, the same way that Jesus did. That's what the stretching out of the hands means. He's brought back to a real task, and he seems good. Now, remember, the reason that he denied was because he was scared of dying, and yet here, Jesus is not hiding the cost, which will be death, to Peter, and Peter's still in. And, and, And Jesus ends this verse with saying, follow me. And actually, he doesn't hide the cost from us either. Being a Christian is not easy. Not denying Jesus in every area of our lives is not easy. It's worth it, but it's not easy. And so we need to say we're coming back to grace. We need to come back to grace in order to have any chance whatsoever. And Jesus doesn't hide the cost to Peter. You see, real repentance leads to real restoration, but then real trust in Jesus, in his saving power, but also his sending power. He reinstates the rock, reinstated to action, and then... As Peter does, he gets it wrong immediately. Nightmare. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. What about him? What about him? Uh, Verse 22 and 23 can be summarized as none of your business, Peter. Do I ask you to do? (laughs) Peter wants to know to what earthly level he's been restored immediately turning around and comparing himself to John. You see, some of the issues Peter have haven't completely gone, right? He's still insecure. Don't know what for. Anyone? <laughs> Sorry. I read that line like three times. Anyway. Am I still your guy? And the truth is, Peter hasn't lost his disciple status. In, probably he was expecting foot soldier at best. And Jesus has actually gone, no, no, you're back. 
you can be my general. And you know, God desires people of faith, not of perfection. Peter's mess up isn't gonna stop him being used by the Messiah. Remember, this is the Peter who was first out of the boat in today's story and was first out of the boat when Jesus was walking on water. We know Peter to be a man of faith. He messes up, but he gives it a go. And he's available for Jesus to use him. I wonder whenever Peter sees fire again now. And it will happen a lot. Instead of guilt and shame, he will remember this day. And when we remember our sin, we can look at the cross and see our saviour and our hope. When we are reminded of past or current, we, we look to the cross. When we're reminded of the things that we wish we hadn't done, we look to the cross We're loved by Jesus. We're naive to think that the depth of God's grace has any worry about the depths of our failure. What a tragedy it would be if as part of this great commission we discounted ourselves from it. You know, Peter, he had a job to do. Imagine if he hadn't been restored and the early church hadn't had all of the gifts that he bought. Well, actually, for some of us, we're trying to discount ourselves from this tonight. What a tragedy that would be if the gifts that are in this room that could be used by God for this church, for the church, for for the people in your world, for your friends, for your family. What a tragedy it would be if we decided that God's grace wasn't for us tonight. Is that we weren't able to be fully restored and recommissioned. What a tragedy it would be if this was the end of the story. And it wasn't for Peter, and it doesn't have to be for us. For some of us tonight, just needs to be a reminder that we're commissioned at all and that we've got a bit apathetic or that we've been doing pretty well and we want Holy Spirit to continue to release us in all that we are doing. Because part of being restored by Jesus, and it happens not just once and then we remember back to it, but it happens, it's going to keep happening. We're going to keep needing to be restored back to Jesus and so we need to be ready for our recommission as well. Three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, Take care of my sheep. They were fed to feed others. Not just restored, but but restored to something. It's not just from something, but to mission. One reason that we're looking at Peter's denial and restoration, like I said earlier, is because of the church weekend away, and we're going to be looking at some of the books that Peter wrote as we go there, and there's a verse in 1 Peter 5, a few verses. It says this, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Status doesn't matter. Peter's getting it and he's starting to tell other people as well. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. I wonder if he's thinking about this part of his life when he's writing this part of his letter. He's reinstated. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I'm gonna die but I love him. I know him. I'm going to live with everything for him. Peter had learnt his lesson, and I wonder if he is thinking back to it, gosh, I was not a humble man. I fell pretty hard there, didn't I? You see, the depth of our failure and the depth of Peter's failure here didn't even come close to the limitless depths of God's grace. And also in our victories, as we are victorious over these things that are holding us back, as we are victorious over the areas that we have previously denied, we help each other. We teach each other. We probably don't write a new Bible. We don't do that. But we teach each other. And we point each other to what's already written in the Bible. You know, Peter, he denied alone, but he was restored with other people. We can't do this on our own. We do it together. Restoration leads to recommissioning. So what is our response? Anyone here like Simon Peter? Let me rephrase that. Anyone here not? 
Isn't it the truth that all of us have denied Jesus in some way? Word, deed, in our silence. Secret disobedience, he knows it, or simply just that the flush of enthusiasm of when we first found Jesus has died down a little bit. And we're there in apathy, kind of just carrying on. Tonight, HTC can be your Lake Galilee, ready to reinstate and recommission you. And the question he asks in this passage and the question he asks us is, do you love me? Do you love me more than all those other things that you sometimes put ahead of me? Do you love me enough to count the cost? Do you love me enough to say, you know my heart? Do you love me enough to give everything, whatever that is? When we think of the wrong we do and the ways we mess up, we remember that Jesus paid the price for our sin. When Christopher Columbus reached the Caribbean in 1492, or 1942, as I said this morning, that's not right. (laughs) 1492, he named the natives there Indians, thinking that he had reached what Europeans at the time referred to as the Indies, China, Japan, and India. In fact, he was nowhere near close to South or East Asia. In his path were vast regions of land unexplored and uncharted, of which Columbus knew nothing. He assumed that the world was smaller than it was, and we do the same thing with Jesus. We do the same thing with the depths of his grace. We assume it's less. We do the same thing with the depths of his love. We assume we're not worthy of it. We do the same things with the depth of his understanding. We think he can't possibly get my situation. We do the same with his ability to forgive. We say, I don't think that's going to be my story. We do the same with his ability to restore, reinstate, and recommission. And maybe we have made a smaller version of Jesus in our heads and in our hearts, whereas he's vaster than we can ever imagine. So what do we do in coming to Jesus, this Jesus? Well, we repent. We accept our restoration, even though it makes no logical sense. And we go. We're recommissioned today. All of us have this choice to make tonight. 1 Peter 5, close yourself with humility. Peter's learned. Let's learn from him. We are lovingly reinstated when we come back to Jesus. Fear and shame, it leads us away from God. Repentance towards him. Jack Miller, an American pastor, said this about pastoral work. He said, if the pastor is not the chief repenter, sin becomes a theoretical issue for theoretical sinners, should there be any there that Sunday morning. We lead out of brokenness. Sin was no longer theoretical for Peter. He was staggered by it. You know, as we think about the things that Peter's been asked to do, often when we see a picture of a sheep, maybe it looks a bit nice and clean and fluffy and lovely and all of that. Sheep aren't really like that. They're dirty. They're stubborn. They get lost. They run away. Turns out when they fall on their back, they can't get back up on their own, which is funny and awful. But man, they need a shepherd. And it's the same for the church. Why do we think we get referred to as sheep so often in the Bible? Because we can probably go through that list and see where we as the church and we as individuals do that all of the time. In verse 18 and 19, we looked at it earlier, he was told what kind of death he was going to have. Peter, he's sitting on the beach and you can see all the nail marks in Jesus' hand. And when he writes in 1 Peter 4 about suffering, he says he's overjoyed with it. One day I'll be back on the beach with my Lord. He forgave me. He trusted me. Of course I'll serve. Will you? Australian Bishop Alf Stanway said this in the 1950s to ordinance at the start of their, their ministry. 
He said, if people knew you like God knows you, all your faults, all your vain thoughts, all your sins, all the things in your heart, all the wrong thoughts you've ever had, would they trust you with the kind of work that God trusts you with? Here is the supreme confidence that God has in his own grace. He will take the like of you and me and give us the privilege of being his saints. Peter got that, and he served. Resurrected Jesus was the key for Peter, and resurrected Jesus is the key for us this evening as well. And as we come to communion in just a moment's time, let's bring our real selves, our fears, the ones that can lead to denial, to sin, to compromise. Let's bring them to crucified and risen Jesus. He forgives when we repent, and he restores us back to himself. When we remember our sin, we look to the cross and we see our saviour, our hope. Repentance, real repentance, leads to full restoration, which leads to a glorious and exciting recommissioning in living for him. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you there's nothing we can bring to you now that you can't handle. We thank you that we thank you that you can use each and every single one of us to, to make your name known. I thank you that you used imperfect Peter and you can use imperfect us to represent perfect you. And Jesus, we're so in awe of that. And I pray now that as we come to a time of communion, that you'll help us to say sorry where we need to and know your restoration. In Jesus' name.